Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. Living a fulfilled life is beautifully simple. We focus on Jesus, we give him all the glory, we don't live for ourselves. And we love the people that God has put around us that we get to live life with. And the grace of God means that we don't have to wait until we're dying before we can start living. We don't have to wait until we've got 24 hours left before we can start preaching the gospel, sharing our faith, encouraging one another. The Bible says, as long as it is called today, encourage one another. And as last time I checked, today, we're still called today. So there is something on us. There is a, there is a calling for us to be encouragers, to, to, to speak the goodness of God over each other's lives, to bring Him glory. God has given us that grace to use our time well. And in Colossians 4, which is where we're at this morning, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Colossians 4. Uh, we've been working through the book of Colossians. We've been doing a series called The Prison Letters. And this is actually the second last message that I'll do in this whole series. We actually started it last year. Um, we've worked through the four prison letters. And we're now in the book of Colossians in chapter 4. But in verse 5, the second part of that verse, Paul writes about this and he says, making the best use of the time. We need to live lives that make the best use of the time that we've been given which tells me that there is an inferior use of our time. There are things that we can spend our time doing that promises so much, that may, may uh, promise fulfillment and satisfaction and joy, but ends up not delivering on those promises. Inferior use of our time. No, Paul says to this church in Colossae, make the best use of your time. Paul writes to Timothy saying that, if we're going to live generous lives, living generous lives means taking a hold of that which is truly life. When we begin to live out, or, or rather than living for ourselves, begin to live for others and for the glory of God, we're now beginning to take a hold of what is truly considered life, what really matters, what really fulfills which means that if there are some things that are truly life, it also means that there are imposters out there. There are certain things that parade as life and pretend to be fulfilling and to produce peace and joy, but at the end of the day, they fall short. And we don't want to fall for a waste of time. We don't want to fall for the imposters. We, want, we don't want to fall for these things. We want to lay a hold of that which is truly life. So in these few short years that we get to live on this rock called earth, that we could have the most meaningful and substantial lives possible, right? That's, that's really the kind of life that I want to live, and I'm sure it's the kind of life that you want to live as well. But we have to look at our lives. We have to look at what we're pursuing. We have to look at what we've allowed to get our affinity and our love and our worship and our adoration? What are the things we're giving ourselves to, giving our money to, giving our time to that are not truly life? When, when my youngest twin boy, so I've got twin boys, got three boys, um, and my, the youngest of the twins, his name is Jude. 
And Jude, even though he's the youngest and the smallest, is the feistiest, all right? Jude is just feisty. He's always been that way. When he was born, the nurses, I actually thought that his older twin brother, Leo, was going to be the feisty one. We named him Leo, which means lion. And we kind of thought that he was going to be like that strong-willed, feisty person. He ended up being the kindest, sweetest boy I have, right? He's just, he's just always conscientious and helpful and, and, and so forth. My other son is in the front. You're also kind and sweet. But, but, but Jude, um, on the other hand, he was the younger one, and we thought he was maybe just going to be like, I had this idea of him being like a worshiper and just very, and, and so when they were born, they were born a little bit early and ended up having to be in the NICU for a little bit. And when they were there, uh, Leo was kind of tugging at, the, at the, um, the little tube that was in his nose, and I thought, yeah, you see? He's a feisty little boy. This is the one. And I was like, I said to the nurses, this one, he seems very feisty. And they were like, not this one, that one. You know, they were like, that one is a nightmare. We're praying for you. We're, we're asking God's grace for your life. Like that boy over there, we could not get that tube anywhere near his face. He was just an hour old and all the feistiness came out. And that's been true. That, that is how Jude is. He would, he would, uh, he's, he one time was playing, they were playing sport with, uh, uh, Pastor Brent in our backyard, and uh, Jude lost, and he got so mad that he, that he lost that he broke his own watch. Then he got so mad that he broke his own watch that he attacked his brother. So this is, this is what we have to deal with. And then one day, Jude was sitting on the kitchen counter, and uh, obviously we don't allow that in the house, and, and uh, Lee walked in, and she said to Jude, Jude, you cannot sit on the kitchen counter. Get off of the counter. And Jude looked up at the ceiling and cried out, I just want to live my only one life. I just want to live. He's like, he was like six years old. I just want to live my only one life, right? And many of us, we have that same attitude. We find out that there's certain things that are not going to be good for us, that we shouldn't do, that, you know, that, that we should resist in this life. And we're like, no, I just want to live my only one life. For a lot of people, living life to the full looks like doing whatever you want to do doing whatever you feel like doing, whatever makes you feel good. That's really the mantra of our world, and it's why our world is in the trouble that it's in. For many of us, making the best use of our time looks like serving ourselves. What can I get out of it? What, what, what is, well, how's that going to satisfy me? How's that going to help me? How that, how's that going to get me ahead? How's that going to give me the experiences that I want? But as too many people have sadly discovered too late and testified of at the end of their lives, there is no lasting joy in any of it. The secret to a happy life, to a fulfilled life, is very simple. It's not about you. When you live for yourself, you will be desperately unhappy. When you disregard all the things that God has given us, which is life, the, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the family of God, the purpose that we get to run in and the calling of God that we have on. When we disregard that in order to pursue our own selfishness, we are walking down a road of destruction. We're walking down a path that is going to ultimately leave us empty. It will not produce the joy that we suspect it might. So Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, this letter to the Colossians, and he knows full well that the words that he's writing are some of his last words. He's in prison in Rome, and he doesn't know any day they could walk in and say, today is the day of your trial, 
and he would most likely be put to death for his, his claims and for uh, what he was saying about Jesus um, and, and, and for coming against the Roman emperor in terms of worshiping the Roman emperor. And so he's facing his own death by, at the hands of the Roman empire. And so he writes these last letters. These are his last words to, to the people he loves. And as he comes to the end of the letter, you know, he's spoken about the, the preeminence of Jesus and how everything that we need is in him, about how all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge is in Jesus. So don't let go of him. Don't let go of Jesus in order to follow your own religious legalism. Don't become some religious legalistic person just trying to, to, to secure your own righteousness rather than trusting in Jesus. And, 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 and also don't take the grace that God has given you as an opportunity to just go and live any way that you want. No, stick with Jesus. Keep walking with him. Put off the old life by the grace of God and now put on the new life that he has given you. And then within your family, live that out. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Kids, obey your parents. Parents, don't be harsh with your kids. Love them. Let God be the master, the head of your home. And love each other as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And then he says, and continue steadfastly. He's coming into land. As he comes to this, this last paragraph, he goes into this idea of continuing steadfastly, which I think is such a great word for all of us. It's such a great word, and it's a word that we would want to share with everybody that we love, with our own children. This is, a, this is something so significant. So in Colossians 4 verse 2, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Continue steadfastly in your walk with Jesus, being watchful in your prayer with, with thanksgiving. At the same time, he says, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Pray that we would be able to clearly communicate the word of God to this world around us, that we would be able to, to make it clear. And I sometimes think that, that, I love the fact that Paul says we should, this is how we ought to speak. Some people find so much pride, pride in, 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 in how important and clever and intellectual that they can sound, that they, they end up taking the word of God and using the most complicated language that they can possibly develop in order to, to share the word of God. And people sit there not knowing what it's about. Paul says, no, our job is to make who Jesus is, the mystery of Christ, the gospel simple for our world to understand. The gospel is simple. We want to communicate who we are in Christ and what Christ has done for us, communicating it clearly, which is how we ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. So the best use of your time isn't to pursue some exotic dream. The best use of your time is when your life simply declares Jesus. When it, when, as you're walking out your life before outsiders, in other words, those who don't have faith, that they would look at your life and say that there is something supernatural and unique and free about that person, and I want to know what it is. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, I imagine that if I could teach my three 
almost four kids because my wife is going to have a baby anytime now, <laughs> pretty much, hopefully not right now, um, anytime within the next two or three weeks. Um, so if I could tell my three or four kids only one thing, it would be to continue steadfastly in prayer. Because as much as there is other things and other temptations and other desires and other thoughts and other philosophies that might attempt to distract them or to cause them to go off course, if they stick with Jesus and continue in a steadfast and continuous relationship with Jesus and communication with God and fellowship with the Holy Spirit, and if, and if God is their guide and, and the Holy Spirit is leading them, then they are going to be able to walk in righteousness. They're going to be able to pursue all the things that God has called them to. Come on, if you could tell your kid one thing before you left this earth, wouldn't it be stick with Jesus? Keep praying. Keep trusting. Keep walking after Him. Keep following His voice. This echoes the activity of the church of Jesus from the very first moment of its existence. This is how the church began. In Acts 2 verse 42, it says that they devoted themselves, which is the same word, I'll look at that in a moment, that means continue steadfastly. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which when the early church was around, the Bible had not been put together the way it is now. These letters were only being written at the time. But the apostles who wrote these letters were already teaching the word of God. And so in essence, it says they devoted themselves to the word of God, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Now that sounds like a community group. It sounds like church. They were, they were hearing the word being preached. They were gathering together in community. They were breaking bread and they were praying and they devoted themselves to this activity. Another translation of Colossians 4.2 in the CSB says, instead of continue steadfastly in prayer, it says, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert, uh, stay alert in it with thanksgiving. So devote yourselves or continue steadfastly is a Greek word called proskartereo, proskartereo. And it comes from, it's broken up, it's made up of two words. Pros means towards or into, a movement towards. And kartereo means to show steadfast strength to consistently show strength which prevails in spite of difficulties, to endure or remain firm, staying in a fixed direction. A fixed direction. So put together, what Paul is actually saying here in essence is that we should steadfastly and continually show strength and persistence in the direction of prayer. Does that describe your prayer life? Is that how you pray? Is that how you walk with Jesus? I'm not just talking about having a specific moment of the day where you pray, where you sit down, where you read the Bible. It's so good to have that. It really can, it, we teach our staff and, and all the leaders that we train to own your morning. Don't let your morning own you. If you don't own your morning, your morning will own you. The crisis, the urgency, the, the traffic, whatever will own you. It will dictate your mood. It'll dictate your pace. It'll dictate your thoughts. It'll uh, cause you to arrive in the office and you need like, you, you, you need an ice pack and, 
and, and some coffee and, you know, I don't know, a drip before you can start working because you've been so stressed out in the morning already. No, we should own our mornings. We should have a time where we can first meet with God, where we could find out who we are in Him, where we can declare His word over ourselves, where we could remind ourselves of who our God is and how He's with us. It's so good to have that. But this continuous, steadfast prayer actually means more than that. It means a lifestyle of prayer. It means praying all of the time, walking with Jesus all of the time, speaking to Him all the time. I sometimes find that I've, I do it so much that it becomes automatic. I don't think about starting to pray. I just pray. It just comes, comes out of me. I, I preached the message on this a few years ago called, There Is No Try, echoing the famous words of Yoda from Star Wars. And I promised at that time that it, it wouldn't be the last time I would use a quote from Star Wars in my messages. But you know, as he says, says, do or do not, Yoda saying, do or do not, there is no try. And when it comes to prayer, it's pray or pray not, there is no try. You don't have to try. To, the moment you start thinking about praying, you're already praying. You're already engaging with God. And so it becomes this natural thing where when we're walking around, when we're driving in the car, when we're sitting in traffic, when, we, when we're going through things, it doesn't matter. We just, when we're feeling grateful, when we're feeling anxious, when we, you know, good day, bad day, we just pray. On Saturday, I was driving to the mall and I was praying in the car while I was driving to the mall and I got out and I was praying in the spirit and I was walking towards the entrance. And then two people that were also walking to the entrance looked at me weirdly and I realized I was praying out loud. I didn't realize, I was just so just praying that they were like, what is this guy saying? I think they thought I was fluent in Arabic or something. But they just looked over at me, but that, that's, the, that's the kind of culture that we want to develop in our lives because it means that God is included all of the time, that we're submitting ourselves to Him consistently, that we're hearing from Him, that we're communing with Him, that we have fellowship with Him. And Paul says we should show steadfastness and persistence in this direction all of the time. So the first point about prayer that I want to share with you today is that prayer is persistent. It's persistent. It's ongoing. I recently heard somebody use the term prayerful prayerlessness, prayerful prayerlessness, which is where we can become so mechanical about prayer and we're just fulfilling a religious duty that we, we know we're supposed to pray and so we do it, but while we're doing it, we're not even thinking about Jesus. We're not even in that space where Jesus is factoring into the conversation. We're just going through the motions and that's not the kind of prayer that God wants. He, does, he wants us to genuinely connect with him. As a young pastor, when I was a youth pastor, I worked for a church that really emphasized prayer, which is a, an amazing and a beautiful thing. But they forced it on me a little bit by giving me certain hours I had to pray, five to nine every morning. And uh, I was praying, doing devotions in the evening. And I was, I was spending at least four hours a day just in prayer. And at one point, the pastor, he used to park outside my office and uh, he pulled up. Uh, where, he, where he parked outside our youth center. And he got out and I had, you know, there's little square windows. I had a little square window. He grabbed that square window and he nearly broke it. Just lifted it up, pointed at me and said, young man, you're not praying enough. So I thought, I don't know when else I'm gonna pray. I'm already waking up early. I'm already spending time at night. And so I started using my lunch hour to pray. And I told him, okay, I will go and pray during my lunch hour. And so I was doing all of that. And I remember one time, praying for an hour and then realizing I haven't thought about Jesus. 
In all of this time, I'm just fulfilling, I'm just going through the motions. That is not the kind of prayer. It's not a religious duty. It's not a legalistic command. It's also not an opportunity for pride. Because if you walk out of a prayer room, a one hour, two hour, three hour prayer room or prayer time, and you're thinking, I'm better than every other person around here because I just spend so much time in prayer. Go back, right? Go back. You got the wrong message, the wrong thing, like the wrong exchange took place. Go back and ask Jesus to help you, right? It's not an opportunity for pride just because we are more prayerful than others. No, what it should be is an opportunity to encourage. It should lead to greater humility, a greater dependence on Jesus. That's really what it's about. The secret to persistent prayer is to understand our need for Jesus. We need to pray a lot because we need a lot of help. We need God to move on our behalf. We need to understand that the strength of our ability to live this new life and to live out everything that God has called us to do is undergirded by our personal intimacy with Jesus. Now, you can do every Christian thing you know to do. You can come to church on a Sunday. You can give money towards the church. You can serve on a team. You can uh, go out with one of our community groups and make a difference in our city somehow. You can post Bible verses on Instagram. You can do all of those things, and all of it means nothing if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. It's the one thing you can't fake. When they met uh, Peter and the others that were imprisoned, they said they were amazed that these were uneducated men, but they could tell that they had been with Jesus. People will be able to tell if you've been with Jesus or haven't been with Jesus. Doesn't matter how, how much Christian parading goes on in your life. What you proclaim will be overshadowed by your prayer life, by your personal intimacy and faith in Jesus. It can't be fake. It can't be circumvented. There's no workaround. The Pharisees did this. They spent all of their time praying. They prayed more than anybody else. And when Jesus arrived, he said, look at these clowns. Don't be like them. That's obviously a paraphrase of the Bible. That's not exactly what he said. He said something more like this, Matthew 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. What is Jesus talking about there? He's not saying that you can't pray corporately or in public. He's saying that when you pray, make sure you're not doing it merely to be seen praying. I, I always laugh at these like TikToks and Instagram. I'm not on TikTok, but like an adult, I watch those TikToks on Instagram when they're posted there. Um, but these TikToks on Instagram where, where people film themselves crying. Like it was this moment that we get this intimate moment of breakdown of, but you're filming yourself. You set the camera up, and then you thought, okay, now I'm going to start crying. And it's so disingenuous because people do that with their prayer life. They're like, I don't ever pray, but I want to be seen, and so now I'm going to pray. Now I'm going. That's not the kind. The Christian life is lived from the inside out, not from the outside in. And we start with something genuine and authentic. And as a church, we've always valued authenticity. We want to be authentic. We want to be. And if you're not there, if you don't have that personal relationship with Jesus, that's okay. We'll give you the opportunity at the end of this service to start that relationship. But be authentic 
And if you're going to, if you are a believer, if you believe in what Jesus has done for you, then do what God has called you to do and continue steadfastly in this prayer life with Jesus. The last words of Martin Luther, who we've spoken a lot about during the series, were scribbled down on a piece of paper. And it was later found by, by some of his friends. And on a note, he wrote, we are beggars, this is the truth. And what he was speaking about, it wasn't, it wasn't, some, it wasn't a, a statement of self-pity. He was actually saying at the end of the day, Everything that we need, we get from Jesus. There's nothing we stand on. There's nothing we boast about. There's nothing that we go, hey, I'm, I achieved this because of my great self. No, at the end of the day, we come to God with empty hands. And then he fills it by his grace. He gives us all the riches of glory in Christ Jesus. He gives us everything pertaining to life and godliness. He gives us far more than we could ever have deserved. But in our own selves, we had nothing to offer. We are beggars. This is the truth. God graciously gives us all things. So prayer is humility because it declares our dependence on God. Whereas prayerlessness is pride because it declares I don't need God. I can do it by myself. And the Bible says that God gives grace to the humble but resists the proud. Martin Luther believed that redemption in Jesus was a return to Eden going back to a place of no condemnation and no shame and a relationship with God, a God-given shamelessness, a recovery of original purpose. And so not only does continuous prayer echo the beginnings of the church, it actually goes all the way back to echo the very purpose of mankind, the very reason why we were created. Genesis 3 tells us that God walked with Adam in the cool of the afternoon. It's one of my favorite images. God coming, you know when the heat breaks and the sun is busy setting and the afternoon is cool and it's a perfect time to take a walk. God would come to the garden and he would walk with his people. They were his people and he was their God. This is the kind of relationship God wants with us. Martin Luther said, prayer is climbing up into the heart of God. How beautiful is that? It's climbing into the heart of God. And this also foreshadows the future of the church when we will all stand as the multitude before the throne, worshiping God, having fellowship with Him. So prayer is our first language. We, we come from God and we're gonna return to God. And prayer is our first language. It's what we most instinctively do. Now, I have some friends that have moved from South Africa to other countries, to Australia, New Zealand, places, parts of Europe or the U.S., and how many of you have friends like that that have moved and then after a short while, they start speaking like the people there or they forget how to speak their native tongue from South Africa. And sometimes they just change one word randomly. They still sound like full-on South Africans. Uh, our friend Phil Smithers from Overland Missions, he's like this. Phil speaks like a South African, but when he says pastor, he says pastor. And they slowly forget their native tongue. Now, the Bible says we're citizens of heaven. We're just ambassadors on this earth. This is not our home. But what sometimes happens is that even though prayer is our native language, we've been living in this world so long that we forget how to speak it. We forget how to pray, even though it's the most natural thing on planet earth. We forget how to do it. And that's why Paul says, be watchful in it. Be watchful about your prayer. Pay attention to it. Be awake. Don't fall asleep. 
Be mindful. Be mentally alert while you're praying. Stay in it. Stay disciplined in your prayer. Showing your strength and persistence towards prayer sometimes requires some discipline, some watchfulness. Paul's probably referring back to the disciples in the garden when Jesus asked them to watch with them one hour and instead they fall asleep. In Mark 14, 37, it says, he came and found them sleeping and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. We need to be watchful. We need to be disciplined because otherwise the weakness of our flesh will subvert, will sabotage our prayer lives. I'm feeling tired. How many of you be like, I'm too tired to pray, but I'll scroll on social media for four hours. <laughs> it's like, I can lie here doing this, but I just cannot pray. Sometimes we need to be a little bit more disciplined and intentional because prayer, number two, is protection. He says, if, you, if, you don't, if you're not watchful, if you're not praying, you may fall into temptation. And I actually wonder if, if, if Peter didn't fall asleep and instead prayed, is there a chance that he would not have denied Jesus three times? Be watchful, Peter. Watch with me just one hour. We're at such a critical moment. I don't want you to, to fall in tempta into temptation. And we can judge Peter for falling asleep while praying, but the Bible in another gospel tells us that they slept from sorrow. They were actually so sorrowful about what was gonna happen to Jesus that, that they fell asleep being weighed down and wearied by sorrow. And sometimes our sorrow in life is so great that, that we forget to pray because it's taken all of our energy. And this is why it's be watchful. Prayer is protection. I know that if I can get my kids to pray and continue steadfastly in prayer, even after I'm gone, that God will be their guide. That if they can, that they will learn to hear his voice, if they can learn to hear his voice, that it will guard their way and their walk. And so the best gift that you can give your family is to model prayer, to model what it looks like to have a healthy prayer life. And you may be secretly thinking, I don't even know how to pray. But here's the good news. Prayer is something that you can learn. You can learn how to do it. You can relearn your native language. In Luke 11, verse 1, we see how Jesus was modeling prayer. And it says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So we can say, God, teach us how to pray. And he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so this prayer, if you follow that pattern, is quite simple. It starts by giving God glory. It starts by declaring who God is. How many of us need that in our lives? Because so many times our problems seem so much bigger than God. The, the, the threat of our immediate circumstances seems so overwhelming that, that when we begin to pray, we want to immediately start talking about them. But Jesus starts by saying, first, remind yourself of who your God is. 
When Isaiah prayed, he spends an entire paragraph talking about who God is. And so often when I pray as a result of of, of this pattern, I start by praying and all I'm doing is glorifying God. God, you are the creator of heaven and earth. You are the beginning and the end, the first and the last. There is no one like you. There's no one who compares to you. You are all powerful. You are omnipresent. You are omniscient. You know all things. My heart, my life is laid bare before you. If, if, if you are for me, who can be against me? God, I know who you are. I worship not the unknown God, but the God who has been revealed from heaven. And you are all powerful, God. And your love endures forever. It's steadfast and goes throughout the generations, from generation to generation. That's the God that I'm speaking to right now. And all of a sudden, my my problems just begin to shrink. You see, the third thing is, is that prayer is perspective. It's perspective. It reminds us of what is true and what is not true, of who God is and what His Word says about us, it allows us to right-size God again. Gives us the perspective. God, this is who you are. Hallowed be your name. And God, we desire to see your will, your ultimate, perfect, good will to be done on earth. We want to see it fulfilled. And so the first thing that we do after glorifying God is going, hey, God, I came here with a list of demands and a bunch of things I was worried about and a bunch of things that I was going to say. But, but, but God, before I get there, I'm not saying you have to follow this pattern perfectly every time. We, just, we can just pray honest prayers. But what I'm saying is that when you sit down, sometimes it's so good to remind yourself that God's will is perfect. And before we can tell him all the things that we feel we want or need, we can submit to that will. And we can care about his mission. God, we want to see our world changed. We want to see lives changed. We want to see people meeting you. We want to see revival taking place in our city and in our nation. We care about the mission of God. And then God gives us the opportunity to make our requests known. The Bible says, don't be anxious about anything, but just let God know what you need. With thanksgiving, just thank him for it. He cares about you. He invites you to to do a transfer or an exchange, your burdens for his peace. He knows what you need before you've even asked it. And so boldly ask in your time of need. Boldly approach the throne of grace. What is it that you need today? James says you don't have because you don't ask. You haven't come to God and said, God, this is what I want. You haven't submitted your plans to God. Your your ideas to God, your your needs to God, your feelings to God. Prayerlessness is pride. But God says, come to me and ask me for what you need. I care about you. And then he gives us the opportunity to receive grace. We can be honest about our lives and go, God, I've messed up in a couple ways. There's some things I'm struggling with. I need help. Come on, how many of you? We all need help. We all still have areas where we're like, God, I really want to be better. God says, come to me, my grace is for you. And at the same time, we can forgive others. We can forgive others because we've been forgiven a debt we could never have repaid. And so we can forgive the debts of those that have wronged us. And then we can pray for protection from temptation, from the evil one, from what the enemy has against us. And all this leads to a renewed perspective 
And what it results in is thanksgiving. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being alert in it with thanksgiving. We get to just give God thanks. Thank you, God, that we're saved. Thank you that we don't have to worry about our salvation. Thank you for this shift in perspective. Thank you that we can reorder our lives according to your truth again. Thank you for who you are to us. Thank you that we're forgiven and set free and protected. And then our problems shrink as our view of God grows. And we discover the power that is latent within prayer. Charles Spurgeon said, prayer is the slender nerve that moveth the muscle of omnipotence. Through prayer, we move the muscle of God's omnipotence. Martin Luther said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It is laying hold of his willingness. No one can believe how powerful prayer is and what it can affect except those who have learned it by experience. You won't know how powerful God, uh, prayer can be until you've trusted God and seen him move. Sometimes we wanna kick doors open. We wanna force them open. We wanna make a way for ourselves. When in, in Christ, those keys are laid up in the spiritual realm. The keys to the doors that you want to see opened are not carnal. They're spiritual in nature. And so Paul says, pray for us also that God may open to us a door for the word so that we can declare the mystery of Christ. This is a prayer we've been praying as a church since we did our series in Corinthians two years ago, in Corinthians 16, Paul says, pray that a wide door for effective work would be opened to me. And we've been praying, God, open doors for us to be able to share the word, the mystery of Christ with our world. Open doors, show us, God. That's our heart's cry as a community. And as an individual, I could ask you this question, how many people have you led to the Lord in the last 12 months? How many people have you had conversations with about the gospel in the last 12 months? And and that question hurts us a little bit. Because for a lot of us, it would be like, um, zero or does a Facebook post count? I mean, you know, how many people have we been leading to the Lord? But what if every day we prayed that God would open a door in that week or in that day that we could share the gospel? How many more doors would open up to us if we simply asked God for them? And so we want to do this. We want to ask God to open these opportunities for His Word to be declared. This is the perspective that we need, that everything isn't about us, that it's about His kingdom, that it's about seeking it first, and then all the other things will be added unto us. Because the best use of our time is to walk in wisdom, to share the gospel, to glorify God. The best way to live your only one life is to walk so closely to God, to communicate with Him and receive from Him, and then to communicate what you've received with others, to bring the reality of Jesus' love to every place and person you meet. Let your speech be seasoned with salt, the, sprinkled with the flavor of God's Word as you're sharing with others so that God may turn hearts to Him all because you determined to continue steadfastly. Now, in Acts 2.42, it says they devoted themselves. It was something they decided they were going to do. Proskastereo. They devoted themselves to fellowship, the word, 
breaking of bread and prayer. And really our community groups are an incredible place to cultivate this culture, to cultivate this kind of life. We are believers. We're children of God. We're disciples of Jesus. We're growing together. We're praying together. We're trusting God together. So I wanna encourage you again, join a group, continue steadfastly, persist strongly in the direction of prayer. Amen.